Welcome to the Startup Business Q&A podcast with Richard Moore. to Startup Business Q&A episode 183. Thanks so much, those of you who are joining in. And we've got uh, a bit of a treat today, not just for you lot, but for me, because I really like this topic. Um, I had a simple poll, as we always do every Saturday uh, in Facebook, on Facebook, and it was, do you want uh, just an Ask Me Anything session or one on how to pitch decision makers? Uh, and it was neck and neck, literally one vote in it with uh, Instagram, but over on Facebook, Literally no one voted for um, uh, the Ask Me Anything, which kind of is good but bad as well. But but they everyone, literally everyone voted straight up for uh, how to pitch um, a decision maker. So that's the topic today. Really pumped about this one and so many questions. We aren't going to have time for them all, I'm afraid. That just goes to show how many we've had. Um, but uh, we hopefully be able to get through eight or nine of them, and I'm really excited about it. So if you have a question on um, uh, how to pitch uh, decision makers or anything in that kind of world, do pop it in. If you're watching live right now, do jump in with uh, hashtag team live. Uh, let me know if you're watching and where you're watching from. If you're watching later, of course, let me know your, uh, uh, if you're part of team replay, so hashtag team replay in the comments instead. Uh, and I hope everyone had a great weekend as well. Um, devastating news about Kobe Bryant. I just want to take a second to say um, he was a bit of an idol. I, I, I'm not really a sporty person, but basketball has always been my, my favourite sport, more than football here in the UK, soccer, as they say in the US. Um, in the 80s, I would watch NBA Jam every weekend, and obviously we followed the Bulls a lot back then, but um, Kobe was like, he was one of the greatest of all time, so I'm gutted for him, and it was it was... Uh, really affected me last night. I'm really sad to hear that he um, he passed away, but very excited um, to to have today's session. I just wanted to kind of give my heart out there. The other notice is that um, Atlanta in Georgia next month on the 27th is now live. So if you want to get tickets to Entrepreneur Business Live, they are zero dollars. They are free. My events now are completely free. And when you sign up, I'll put a link in the um, in the posts underneath here, uh, IGTV. You'll be able to see in the comments. Uh, they'll be here on Facebook, and I'll put it in um, LinkedIn as well. But on Eventbrite, you can grab uh, your free tickets now to the event uh, between 6 and 8 o'clock. We, uh, we work 725 Pont Street, I think it is, uh, in, Atlantic, uh, in Atlanta. And uh, Heather Parody uh, will be from Unconventional Leaders podcast will be hosting uh, we've got Randall Blizzard as well um, as uh, Joel Pilger and uh, the amazing uh, Joy McAdams all speaking at the event uh, itself. So we're very excited and we more details on that really soon. But if you are in the area, make sure you're able to tune in uh, and, and, uh, and visit. But also make sure if you can't make it, you join us on the Entrepreneur Business Group uh, in Facebook. You can watch the live streams there. So Atlanta uh, 27th of February, really pumped that that's going to be happening. And um, thank you to Heather Parody for making it all happen as well. So we're live right now on Facebook, LinkedIn and Instagram. If you have any questions on pitching decision makers, let me know. Uh, this should refresh soon. We'll be live uh, on LinkedIn when it wakes up. Uh, there we go. And um, I've got, as I say, I've got so many here, but I want to jump straight in. So let's go on the first question from Gilles Toussaint, who says, here is my question, a real case from last week. 
You've got a decision maker by email or LinkedIn who asks you to do the first call with one of her minus one, so someone further down the chain. Do you do, what do you do? Do you do it with her, ask her to join two? What do you do if she says no at first, simple first call and then leave the product demo for her? <clears throat> this is about control. A decision maker is a decision maker. That's the end of the day. At the end of the day, the person you need to pitch is the person at the top. You can go further down the chain and many deals happen from going further down the chain, but the most effective way to get a deal is going to the top, the person who ultimately makes a decision. I can make a child excited about a toy, but it won't get bought unless the parent is sold. There's a number of ways of doing it, but ultimately you can see the lack of control if I, if I ask the child to go and sell the parent compared with I go and sell the parent. It's far better to have control yourself and be, you know, as I say, in control of basically what, what the outcome looks like. So you should pitch the decision maker. It needs to be on your terms in the nicest possible way. And you must always say to yourself, never, ever settle. OK, never settle. And this is going to be one of the probably the, the constant themes in this particular Q&A, because uh, a lot of people look for the, a way around pitching the top person because they're busy, because they're hard to get hold of, because maybe there's um, a, a situation where essentially they just don't want to hear the pitch. and they, They've got someone else who has a particular function that might look after what you do. The truth is the top person, if they can get a glance at it and be sold in principle, they can pass you down the chain to someone who would maybe use or manage the decision. That's different to making a decision. And uh, that person, of course, can be pitched as well. So if I have a marketing proposition, for example, I might want to, it might feel intuitive to pitch a marketing manager, but it's actually the top person that makes the decision in terms of how much budget that person has. If the top person happens to be on board and then I go to the marketing manager, I'm going to have a lot more chance of getting a deal. So what you do, if this person say, has the exact question you've written here, Agil, is um, they've asked you to do the call with her. What I would suggest you do is you say, well, let's just have a quick call first just to talk about a couple of things, uh, including this person and you give them the top line information. What you want is in principle, yes, Richard, I think this is a great idea. Now go and speak to my person underneath because then you can close them on this idea of, look, if they like it, then are you good to go ahead? And this is for anything. So literally any industry, if you go to the top, top person, yes, it is harder, but go to the very, very top. You're in a position then where if they happen to like what you have to say, and indeed you, if there's a good connection there as well, the chances of your, your deal happening just went into the stratosphere. If you just try and work with the people lower down the chain, it is far easier to get them on the phone or in a meeting, and it is far easier to get them to be interested and excited, right? But the chances of getting a deal are considerably diminished. And it is uh, no, no coincidence that and I've worked with sales and training sales for many years since 2002. It's no coincidence that those people who choose, and it is a choice, that choose to not pitch the very top person have to get used to not hearing the news they want to hear and certainly have to get used to being out of control. So whatever it is you're aiming for, if you go to the top person and if you simply get close to the top person, if they seem to like you a bit, that's what makes a difference. 
literally every single client I have, literally all corporates and uh, small businesses as well, I've always had that interface first with the CEO or managing director, even if it's briefly, but in principle they've been sold. If you are an actress, an artist, a business developer, a software developer, whatever you're selling, you need to make sure the very top person of the organization that could employ your services has a sense of what you do and likes you. That makes life very simple for those further down the chain to make a decision to go with you, okay? It creates a good bit of bias as well. So there, there's kind of my strong rant on it. What do we actually do here, uh, Gilles, to answer your, your question? You need to be saying to her, if she says no at first, you say no problem. It makes sense to explain just a couple of broad strokes first and check a few things be before I speak to your uh, before I speak to your subordinate or whatever you want to call them. Um, and so deal that with that first. And it is it is a bit extreme. But if you don't settle for people further down the chain who can't make a decision, you do less pitches. And often you, you, you'd be willing to say, do you know what, let's leave it then. OK, because if someone doesn't get it. If someone doesn't feel that you're an amazing person, a proper proposition of, and a very um, exciting uh, potential for, your, for their company, well, why, why are you trying to convince someone further down the chain who has even less buying power? It doesn't make sense. Got it? So it makes a, it's, it's the only thing to do is to get the top person warmed up. It's harder. And if you can't, you don't settle. Simple as that. So that's what I mean by on your terms. Do you want to do a few shout outs here and say thank you to those joining over on uh, LinkedIn? We seem to having a hilarious um, um, band. Jesus from Sao Paulo in Brazil. Tabitha Cavana watching as well uh, from somewhere in America. Can't remember where you, li remember where you live. Uh, we've also got Diana Nyan coming watching from uh, Melbourne. Brian Direct watching from uh, Miami, uh, Idris Fashan, good to see you here from Alberta. There will be an Alberta event this year. I'm really excited. I was talking to someone last week about that and we've got more coming through on it. So uh, stay tuned, Idris. Uh, Muntet Emmanuel from Kenya. I think you watched last week as well. So thank you. Nabil Yaman watching from Saudi Arabia. Amazing to people, have people all over the world. So Space Nizam, Ellen Edgekirk, uh, Gyan, uh, Gyan Yoga Music. Danny with three Ys, two X, JD Photo, Human Nature underscore Nature three, uh, and so on in Instagram. And the normally named people on Facebook as well David Potts, Bob Lowe, Diana, uh, who else have we got here? Jedi Hill is here, uh, Colin Turchik, and uh, Rebecca Godfrey. Nice to see you all here as well. Thank you for watching. Put in the comments if you're just new to uh, the stream uh, where you're watching from and hashtag Team Live. Also, we're covering today decision makers. So any questions you have on that, let's cover that. And hopefully we've got some slightly better reception coming through for LinkedIn. <laughs> I was using all the bandwidth on, uh, on a different device. We should be all right in a sec. So bear with me if you're watching on LinkedIn and you've got dreadful uh, resolution at the moment. Uh, next question from Mirav Levine. Richard, how do you make sure the decision maker is at the meeting or pitch or call? You should pre-pitch them first. What you need to do is make sure you're approaching, like I've literally just been saying for the previous answer, make sure you're approaching that person first. People don't want to do things they, they don't want to do. And so if they have to do something, so work or responsibility, or they want to do something, habit or fun things or whatever, they're the things they're going to choose to do. 
okay? And they will defer anything else or, or pass it on to other people. So to make someone want to come to a meeting, your personality and you need to be a little bit more present. Sure, the practical wins for them, but if everyone's approaching this decision maker with practical wins for them, something that can be a little bit different is you. So make sure you show up and be a little bit more interesting. To get them to show up, you should be pitching them directly um, and, and I would actually say that it, it should be that they should show up to the meeting and no one else. You want to pitch people separately. It sounds like a long-winded route to get a deal. But the truth is, if you have more than one person in the room that you're going to try and pitch, that have different functions and different worldviews, you're only ever going to be compromising in the way you communicate with them. And the mistake people make is opting for efficiency over what is effective. And I've covered this a bit, I think last week too. And what this really means is if you've got three people in the room, one's marketing, one's that commercial CEO, and one's finance, and you know, whoever else, you can't pitch the three of them on their wavelengths at the same time. It takes a lot of effort to get them all sold. Plus there's egos now. No one wants to be played. No one wants to be looking like they're weak or anything like that. If you take them one by one, it takes longer certainly for high ticket sales, takes longer, but it's more effective and it gives you the control. So the question is like, why wouldn't they be in the meeting? Because they should be the only person you meet with first. Oh, I want to get my marketing person in as well. Sure. Well, let's just do the broad strokes of you and I, and then I'll speak to your marketing director. No problem. Okay. So as far as you can, not always ideal, but as far as you can, you should try and separate them purely because it's logical to. Some people will say, well, that's really irritating, Richard. It's far better that you do them all at the same time. Sure, for efficiency's sake, but it's more effective, if you can, to pitch people separately because that way you warm them up as individuals, all right? So it's, think about communication in general. If I'm pitching to an audience of 300 people, it's harder to resonate with singular individuals than if I speak to each individual in person. Yes, it takes longer, but always ask yourself, what's the outcome you're after? The outcome you should be trying to chase here, very simply, is a deal or as close as you can get to a deal, not efficiently pitching everyone and getting it all done as quickly as possible. So it's very important to bear that in mind. Um, good to see a few more people on here. Team, uh, team Live in Toronto from Colin Joseph. Henry Keane, good to see you. Uh, been a while since I caught up with you. Hope all is well. Good stuff in the vlogs. Hope uh, Great to see your business going well. Saw the LinkedIn jumped on. Oksana Kruger from Mallorca is watching. Christoph Kung, hello from Barcelona. I think we connected when I was at Barcelona last year uh, for two of our events. Carlos Robles from Utah is here as well. Tabitha from Pittsburgh. That's what it was. Sorry, I think I forgot where we were. Next question. So Mirav, the point is, like, like it shouldn't be a question. You pitch the decision maker directly. And if you can't get them on the phone, well, then your entry point, your value proposition to them isn't good enough. Yes, you can get to deals by going further down a train, chain, but it's, for, it's far more effective to go to the top first, okay? To make sure they're in the meeting, when you've, when you've said, hey, we'll, we'll make sure we, we meet then, if they've said, yeah, yeah, okay, well, I'll be there on Thursday or whatever, and the last thing you wanna do is, have, is show up and someone else is there instead, you say, so if I send you the invite, I'm doing that now, what's your best email and so on, just make sure you nail it down so they actually show up to it, okay? Uh, next question from Christina Yeoman. Uh, what behaviours or statements lead, often lead a decision maker more toward a no 
than anything else. So this is the idea that you've already got them uh, on the phone and you're just getting a no from them. So or not just email on the phone, of course, in, in a meeting as well. This is really more than anything about positioning and the framing of you as someone who's got this. What's really crucial is that, is that decision makers, rephrase it in fact, buyers have a sense that you know, you're a good shout for their money. If they feel like it's a bit of a punt and they're a little bit concerned about whether or not uh, you're gonna be uh, a good use of their money, then that hesitancy will often lead them to find a reason why it should be a no. Far more effective to say to, 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 to convince this person that you know what you're doing. And rather than coming at it as a butler, you come at it more as uh, the consultant that knows best. And people have a lot of fear about pitching senior leaders and decision makers because they say, oh, they look at the job title and think this is a, you know, a, a partner or a CEO or a president or whatever. And they perhaps don't have that job title. But it's not about job title. In order to sell peer-to-peer, -peer, you need to think about areas of knowledge and expertise. So what that really means is that the decision maker owns their space. They know what they know about their industry, which is reasonable. But it's also the case that you are the authority or the expert on your thing, or you should be, because that's reasonable. So what's important is that you adopt the position of someone who knows best. Obviously through questioning, you don't just ram it down their throat, but through questioning and understanding and being the consultant, you position yourself as, look, here's what the solution is, here's how it works, and by the way, we've got this. And that's not you saying it necessarily as explicitly, although there's nothing wrong with it, it's more about a vibe you're giving off that you're confident in the thing at least that you know how to do. And that whatever that might be, that it's a case of saying, I know this space well. And when you get that feeling from someone as a buyer, you put trust in them. So you should get that feeling from a tailor when you're getting your suit fitted. You get that feeling ideally from an airline pilot when you're about to put your life in their hands. You get that feeling from a barber or hairdresser when you know, you're about to say, go cut my hair and I'm gonna walk around with it for a month or so. You know, you're letting that person say, I've got this. And think about how you feel if that person doesn't seem to be particularly confident, it really stands out. So it's crucial that you project that you know what you're talking about and you have earned the right to do that if you know your product well and your service well, because that's in fact what they're after. Emotionally, a buyer needs you to to come across like you know your stuff, because then they will be more likely to want to, to you know put money into what it is you you are you are offering. So remember that this sense of I've got this, um, and it all starts with a good connection. You know, if you keep things simple, if you get on well with people, they will want to lean in and be a bit more receptive. It really big make, really does make a big difference there. Um, uh, one one thing here uh, to add, I was going to say about simplicity because Christine is asking about getting a no from someone. It often happens if you overcomplicate things. So it may be that it's a very complex proposition. Just give them the, the broad strokes. A high-end decision maker just wants the broad strokes. Buyers don't care how it works. That's you indulging. It's far better to give them the essence of here are the wins for you. They just want the magic. If you think about when you buy a car, you don't care how it works. You just want the wins or you want the solution, which is 
I can save on fuel, or I have more space for my kids and shopping, or I can go really fast, or I'm going to look really good in this car. Whatever your reason for buying is, that's what you care about. You don't care how, because it doesn't matter to you, unless there's a tremendously small minority of people that it does matter to, but in the main, it doesn't, okay? So think about that, simplicity matters. If you overcomplicate, then it feels complex. Now let's, now you start getting more and more people involved, they start bringing committees in, and of course now it's less likely to be a deal because there'll always be someone who says no, okay? So uh, Bob Lowe here is written on uh, Facebook, Richard, how do you reach a decision maker that has many gatekeepers? We're gonna cover gatekeepers in a sec because there's a couple of other questions on it, so I'll hold that thought, Bob. Jedi Hill, I agree, a couple is maximum to talk to before it gets extremely difficult. Yeah, it's a good point. It's a good point. If there are eight people making a decision together, that's tough. But if there's fewer, you should, I mean, ideally, you're pitching as many people as possible, like as in everyone in the decision-making process. If there are eight people involved, so just ask. I had one a while back when, he, when it was two people making decision, but there was an additional two as well. But those additional were two when I found out and I asked about it, are just, were just there for usage. They were just using the service. So they actually weren't going to be involved in making the decision. They're just going to be, you know, it, just that courteous thing of, of just letting them know, that courtesy thing of just letting them know. It's that it was the top two people who made the decision. They were the two I really needed to, to pitch. So, that, so that's an important view to have is, is I need to be effective and keep control, which means pitching all the people involved in making the decision as opposed to trying to cut corners and save time, okay? Um, we've finally caught up with some bandwidth on uh, <laughs> on LinkedIn, so that's good. Ashna, good to see you here. Hi, Richard. Lunch break listening. See you tomorrow in your office. Craig Smith, hi from Milwaukee. Elizabeth Westbrook, great to see you here. Good morning from T, uh, presumably Tennessee. I don't know actually. Overprocessing, <laughs> yes. And uh, Karen Haywood, no wonder a panel of fifteen didn't win the deal. Uh, absolutely. If there's a panel of fifteen, it's hard. What you're being forced to do when there's a panel of 15, whatever it was that you're de doing, uh, Karen, okay, you're mentoring and training, coaching, recruitment. So presumably in recruitment, you're talking about a placement where there was a panel of 15 people where, or maybe where you were trying to win the deal. So so winning winning the retainer or something like that or win the, win the gig. When there's a panel of 15, and I've been in one myself when it was a director position at uh, a large biotech business, it was like 10 years ago almost now. And I remember well, that we had this whole group and it was this big pitch. The reason why we got the deal was not because I managed to win them all over. I probably did an okay job of not looking like an idiot. However, the reason why we closed the deal and got the deal over the line, if you like, was prior to that. The director who ran the entire business unit, this is a multi-billion dollar business, so the, the director of that business unit was essentially as high up as we could possibly get, they had been courted separately. The person who oversaw all of HR had been courted separately. There was like a large meal, I remember as well, with a couple of people. So the key stakeholders were groomed and therefore they who had, you know, it, as you'll agree, uh, Karen, on your, your point here, if you have a panel of 15, they're not equally weighted in terms of, of their decision-making power. Typically, you have two or three who are, are the main events in terms of deciding, and everyone tends to defer a little bit to them at least. So getting the right people on board is the way to do it. This is a crucial part. 
you know, you should be identifying if there's no, in, you know, a number of uh, decision makers, who the main ones are, and always what their kind of job title is. So you can have a sense of who, what they're like. There's a really great guy I recently worked with, and he said, um, I'm sold, Richard, this was the CEO. However, there's this guy as well, and he has this kind of character. It was really helpful. And if he hadn't have said it, I would have asked, what's he like? Because if you get a sense of what the person's like, then you have a sense of how you need to react with them as well. Okay, so it's a very good way of looking at it. And thank you, it was a really good point there, uh, Karen. And indeed, um, uh, uh, a panel of 15 often throws spanners in the works. So you're trying to please everyone. Uh, next question, and thank you for that, Christine. The next question from Daniel Nunes. How are you able to inspire or encourage more out of someone who feels like it's too late to pivot? I've been talking to a lot of boomers. This is like the word now, isn't it? No one's called me a boomer yet, which is good um, because it is, but, but also it's good because it would be wrong if I was because um, I'm not a baby boomer. I'm, I'm, a, I'm technically Gen X, actually, um, uh, not millennial by one year because I was born in 1980. Uh, anyway, I've been speaking a lot to, to a lot of boomers who are stuck on doing things the old way and say that social networking is a fad. When getting them to digitize their businesses, how would you suggest innovation where they don't think there's anything to be fixed? If that, I know, I know a lot of people like this. So what we're talking about is, is possibly an older generation, but certainly one who's not sold. <laughs> Bobolo here, okay, boomer. Someone who's not sold um, on, uh, on social media positioning and, and uh, social networking and saying it's a fad which it clearly isn't, and it hasn't been for some time. I'm not just saying it in bias, it literally isn't. It's a really effective mean, channel to business. But if people are saying this, if, they're basically, if they've got this conviction, Daniel, that they, that they are doing fine as they are, well then, do they really have a problem? Now, external view of that is, well, hell yes, they have a problem because in 10 years time, they're completely irrelevant. So you might want to urge them to understand that. But what I've experienced is that there are so many opportunities out there. If you come across someone who doesn't believe, not in your product, that's a step further. They just don't even believe in the, in the entire platform you're working on. Why do you want to work with them in the first place? And like, it's not worth trying to be a hero because what we are after here, isn't it? Working with people uh, that want to work with us. And, and I've said this a lot recently. You want to work with people who want to work with you. So a great example of this in 2002, my first ever job, I was cold calling and selling internet marketing. So um, a service where you'd be found on a website and there would be SEO and stuff like that. Internet marketing in 2002 is when no one bought stuff on the internet except maybe like a CD or, or a DVD or something like that. And when I had people on the phone who weren't sold on the internet, I had a choice. It's like, do I sell them on the internet and this wonderful revolution and then try and sell them on my product on top of it? Or do I just move on to someone who already gets it? You see, like, why, why would you bother? And you could be like, oh, I want to be this hero. I, want, I like a challenge. Really? Why? Why don't you move to someone, move to someone who can, um, who, 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 buy, who buys into the idea in the first place? 
you want to work with people you want to work with. Daniel, I see you've just joined here on Facebook. We're on your question right now. What I'm saying here is firstly, if they feel that, um, if they feel there's nothing that needs fixing and they're doing fine, then of course you need to ask some questions. Check out the concept of spin questioning where you establish if there's a problem and then look at the implication of not fi of fixing it. Um, but if they don't believe there's a problem and they're not sold on social networking, you're massively wasting your time and need to be with someone else. Because the next guy along, Daniel, is potentially someone who's like, like I'm all in on social, social networking. Just like in 2002, I'm approaching people who have a website, right? This is hard to appreciate for the younger generation here, but there was genuinely people who were like, why are we bothering with a website? We do it all face to face. And I know people now like that. They have a website. It's like a prehistoric website because they're fine for now, thanks, Richard, because they do the face to face thing. Their problem is when they move on, as does the industry, their company's screwed because potentially the way some deals are done are, uh, can be done with an online warming element instead. Nevertheless, if someone technically had a website back in 2002, were like a lot of them were like, I've got one because apparently we need one. Just like even nowadays, corporates have a Twitter account because they think they need one, um, but don't actually use it properly. There's no point selling the guy on, on the internet. What I was interested in was the websites where it was like, wow, they're really at the cutting edge. They've got all the latest type of media. They're really into it. They're clearly bought into it. You know, there's constant regular content. So you call them up and they're like, yeah, we're all over this. We love this Internet thing. What have you got for us? And that they were much more receptive. So, you know, it makes more sense. It, like a really awful analogy. But if I want to if I want to date someone, it probably makes a bit more sense to go for someone who's single than someone who's married. Someone who's married is always already convinced about something else. Why would I want that extra challenge? There's a lot of arguments for that for some weird people, which I don't necessarily want to get into. But in the main, it's a little bit more effective to go to someone who is possibly a bit more in the need for it, as in someone who's single, right? And it's the same here. Why wouldn't you target someone who buys into social networking already? And what are the indicators for that? Well, they're probably on it already. What you want is someone who's doing what you offer, but doing it really badly. So you can say, hey, you're rubbish at this. Let me help. Or more elegant wording of that, for instance. Uh, great question, though, Daniel. Thank you. Brian Dureck, who is um, a month and a half after Heather running Atlantian on 27th of February. He's running uh, the Miami event, EBL Miami 2020, on the 16th of April. I will be there because, you know, Miami is kind of fun. Uh, but I'll be there for a panel discussion. Uh, we will have uh, some very exciting people on there. We'll be announcing very soon, kind of holding, holding back. I'm excited because they're like outrageous lineup for this. Um, so make sure you come along if you can. But as usual, if you can't make it, and this is a big event, 180 people, this one is the capacity. If you can't make it, pop along to Entrepreneur Business Group on Facebook and you'll be able to watch all the live streams there. Um, but Brian Direct has quite a long intro for you. Uh, how to handle conversations coming in from a weaker position, so framing. What's human and what's intuitive, I say this so many times lately uh, to, to clients, so if you're watching, then I'm so, uh, sorry, but it's reinforcing it. What's human is to try and help. And we feel that it's helpful to, with a decision maker, defer to their position and adopt a, an inferior 
or subservient butler-esque kind of uh, position with them. What we're really doing to their subconscious is conditioning them that we are junior and therefore you tend to be treated as such. That means more ghosting, more gaming, more um, or rather less um, um, being direct with you, negotiations, things like that. All of that stuff you're trying to avoid comes out more naturally, not because decision makers are horrible people, but because there's a level of treatment typically that a junior person will get by comparison to a peer. It's just a human trait. Okay, of course, some people are better at not doing it than others. But in the main, if you position yourself as a peer, and back to the point I said a bit earlier on Christina's um, question, I believe, peer-to-peer -peer selling is about you recognizing that they are an authority on their thing, but they recognize you're an authority on your thing. And if you're in a pitch or a meeting to discuss your solution, you're the authority in the room right now. Therefore, the frame, which is the view they have, imagine them looking through a window, the view they have of you should be that you're the authority in what you do. And there are little things you can do as well, and this is about assertive language and communication. Minding a way to not make sure you're, to make sure you're not being too um, aggressive or uh, superior, because now you're testing their ego, which isn't a good idea. This is about just being assertive and saying, you know, using their first name, being punchy, being scarce, not trying to drag on a meeting. You are in demand, right? So you need to get out of there and go to the next meeting. So, okay, so I've got this much time. Here's the agenda we'll have, and here's what we're gonna go through. You're leading, you chair the discussion because you're the one in control of the subject matter. And you should feel validated in leading because they emotionally need you to as a buyer. You wouldn't buy from someone who didn't seem to know what they're doing. I remember distinctly now, it must have been seven years ago, looking at a car for my wife, we're buying another car for her, and it was just like, there were all these different op opportunities, and I remember there was one, it was like, this. I met him actually, and it was like, this guy was in a car park, someone else's car park with this car he was trying to sell, and he's in his shorts and flip-flops, and it's like, Where's the office, you know? Where's all the other cars? There's no price, it was not even his own car park. It was just, he'd driven it there and was trying to sell it. And I was like, I, was like, I can't buy from you because there's no trust here at all. So you need to have a level of polish and awareness of what you're, how you're coming across as well. Really does matter. So own your own space. Remember that, that you need to lead what's gonna be discussed and take the next steps as well. You're the one that should lead. And the most alpha decision makers will happily be led as long as you're giving them value. The moment you start waffling and not being useful, they'll switch off and they'll try and end the, end the meeting, okay? But whilst you've got them saying something interesting and showing them the value and how they can win, they will happily be led through it. Um, one little extra tip there is go easy on the pandering and on the excitement. Okay, yay, squealing, going, hooray, I'm really excited to be in this meeting. Thank you so much. It's amazing to be in your audience. Isn't going to do your level of uh, the perception of value you're offering any favors. What that actually does is position you as someone who's super excited to be there because it doesn't normally happen to them. 
imagine how the scenario, how it plays out, right? If you meet decision makers all day, every day, you get naturalized to it, right? So as a result, you'd be a bit more aloof than that. So you need to act, well, you probably, sh indeed, you shouldn't have to act, it should be that it's natural. You're, you are coming across in a way that suggests you do this all the time, this is routine. If you drove a Ferrari for the first time ever, you'd probably be thrilled. If you drove a Ferrari for a thousand times, by that thousand times you're like, it's just this Ferrari, I'm just used to it now. And it's the same here. The excitement needs to be dulled down a bit to show that you're, you're, you know, you're used to this kind of thing. So don't be more excited than the person you're meeting that you're doing this chat because it suggests that this is your first rodeo and it worries people. Again, this is the psychology of the buyer. Emotionally, they need to feel like you've got this. Why would someone want to put their money, that's something precious to them, that's, that's really important to them. Why do they want to put money into someone who is squealing with delight that they've managed to meet them? Think hard about that frame, it's really crucial. So thank you so much. I know you've only got five minutes. I know you're really busy. I'll be super, super quick. Is suicide because now they're looking at you as someone who is reaching in order to be in that meeting. They wouldn't act like that, so take cues from them. This isn't about trying to flex and be full of ego and you know leaning back in your chair like you're the big boss. This is about just being level and measured, and that suggests you know what you're talking about. So it's a really important question there, Brian. Really glad you talked about it. and framing uh, and controlling that frame really does matter a lot. I'm just on my camera. There we go. So I just want to do a couple of shout outs. Thank you so much, everyone watching on Instagram and indeed as hashtag Team Replay uh, on IGTV. Uh, Pat Pratiraj is watching. Um, Falmacino Sagrant 360. Pretty stepping. Uh, Mirav Levine's watching Bitcoin Trader Miami, wonder where you're based, uh, Insane Nails Sparring Academy, uh, Imran Fatima 67, D, uh, D Brown 90, Giga Motivation and so on are watching on Instagram, thank you so much. Over on um, uh, Facebook, thank you Daniel uh, for the message, appreciate your question, my question. Let's see what, you, see what you have to say over on uh, LinkedIn. Andy Horry, great topic. I'm working on pitching through medium to large businesses to create video marketing campaigns that create lifelong customers for them. The solution is marvelous. The question really isn't, is this a good solution or not? What it really is, is, is are they wanting to hear from you specifically, Andy? So what that really means is, are they inclined towards hearing what you have to say? Imagine there's a world of people who are constantly pitching about video marketing campaigns. They all know about the wins, about the lifelong customers and things like that. That's marvelous, but why should they listen to you? And typically that's because, again, we're going to go back to the previous question that from Brian Direct. You're framing, that, or they're seeing you through a frame or, or have a perception of you as someone who's got this, who knows what they're talking about. And you can do that over time through quality content and, and ideally things like this live show position me as such or you can do it through um, if it's a cold approach you can do it by talking about mutual connections and where you have commonality to breed familiarity because the human in front of you needs to have some trust before they dare to bother looking at what you actually have to offer so that's the main part it's often the case that you have an epic proposition but no one wants to hear from you yet. No matter how good it is, 
and you're perplexed as to why, but typically it's just that human trust thing. Why should they want to listen to you? It has to go deeper than, but this is gonna really help your business. That's your opinion. They have to feel good about you, which is down to things like connection building and rapport. And that's just being useful and interesting in the moment rather than being excited that they're in, you're in touch with them or just being boring and waffling. Hey, well, let me just talk about me. It's not really so interesting for a buyer now, is it? Uh, it's a really good point there. Tracy Livington Howard. Nice tips, Rich. I've got a business partnership meeting tomorrow. Good luck with that, Tracy. Uh, Craig Smith, I'm a brand ambassador, excellent for you. Nabil Yaman, pitching decision maker before, because people trust people more than they trust brands. Always, always. If you think about what people say, well, well how can we trust um, Apple more than, you know, more than the person? We, we, do, we do trust the people of Apple, although some people do, um, and that often started with the likes of Steve Jobs. And, but the thing is, Apple, as is, is an example, um, have a product you know, in an iPhone, that isn't sold through the Apple brand, it's sold through the people we know. You buy into it because it's a tribal herd thing. You know, if all of the cool kids have an iPhone, well then you tend, a human will naturally want to have an iPhone as well. Of course, there's the, the more intelligent among us who are Android users who wanna push back against that, but the whole other conversation. <laughs> but you know, it's no different to in 1987, um, everyone was buying Air Max Classics. So that was the shoe. It wasn't because of Nike. We weren't all thinking about Phil Knight's journey selling shoes in the 70s. We were just like, that guy's so cool, I need to be like him. So in fact, the brand was sold through the humans. So it's a really good point. Uh, uh, really good point there, Nabil. Um, right, let's crack on with the next uh, question. So Everett Phillips and Emilianne Velelia, and I think it was Daniel earlier today, or someone, or Bob Lowe rather, talking about gatekeepers. I'm not so keen on the term gatekeepers, because gatekeepers is a salesy term, uh, and it, it, it um, reflects people who have trouble getting past someone. A gatekeeper suggests someone who's defending something, and if you have that perception that you're doing battle with someone to get past them to pitch someone else, your approach can be improved. That shouldn't be how it has to be, and usually it's about having a good connection uh, with the top person uh, it, it's itself. So I'm gonna discuss that right now. So Everett has asked, Richard, I think the conversation would be useful, this conversation would be useful if you start with gatekeepers and how they function, and the decision if one should use the gatekeeper's access to decision maker, or try to circumvent the gatekeeper, or multiple, multiple gatekeepers, then choosing the best gatekeeper to develop a relationship and so on. And, and so it's kind of a long-winded question, but essentially what he's saying is, uh, you know, how do I manage gatekeepers and what really are they? And can we explain that? Emily Ambalelia has also added, I'd be interested to know how you get over the moat. So past the gatekeeper and past the bodyguards. <laughs> you know, but, but I have a really good point here. So if, if you're seeing them as bodyguards and if they are like doing battle with you, Think about how you're framing yourself. And there, there's some people I've been really lucky to work with over the years, and they never have an issue because they carry with them an element of um, poise, or more likely, they actually say the right things that make someone want to go past. And the game changer for me, in let's say getting past gatekeepers or receptionists straight to the top, the game changer was finding the mutual contact. So, for instance, if, if I don't know Everett Phillips, 
and I want to pitch Everett Phillips, but he does know Amy and Valilia, these two people who ask questions, and I'm friends with Amy Ann as well. So we've got, he knows Amy Ann, uh, Emily Ann, and I know Emily Ann, and I want to pitch Everett. What I need to do is say to Everett, hey, I've been working with Emily Ann, helping her do A, B, and C. It's been really effective lately. Uh, and then I can go, I can ask almost anything, like, you know, would you want to speak for a second, I could even ask. And he's much more likely to want to speak because by proxy, I'm okay. I can be trusted. Because if he's tight with Emily Ann and I'm tight with Emily Ann, well, then she's gone through the pain of validating if I'm a psycho or not. And if I'm good enough to be friends with her, at the very least, for Everett, I'm worth listening to. And I'm not just someone else. So when I, what I used to do years, I was like 15 years ago, I would say, who are we already working with? I would find literally any company they've worked with. So a customer or something, you know, or, uh, you know, another company uh, they've done a partnership with or even a competitor, but I'd prefer not to. So someone they have in some way done something with, find a press release where they say, we're working with this contractor or a project they work on. Who else was in the project? When you pitched another company that was involved in some way in their ecosystem, I can leverage their name. Okay, so if I've worked with company A and their president, when I pitch company B who worked on a project with them, I can say, hi, can I speak to John, please? Um, we've been work, it's about the work we're doing with Jenny Hill, president at company A. Is he available? And what I'm doing is basically saying, not I want to sell something, it doesn't tend to work. It's saying, I want to speak to him about uh, something I'm doing with a mutual contact. And it's always a yes, it worked every time. And that's how you don't have a gatekeeper problem. It, that's how you just have receptionists being pleasant and, let you, and letting you pass. And I think that people don't like to admit responsibility when it's getting past gatekeepers and receptionists. The truth is, if they get their backs up, if you wind them up and like as bad as them hanging up on you or, or, or when you go to an office to try and pitch and they're like, no, you're not coming in. You're you're the constant here. If this is constantly happening to you, you're the one who with probably one of the nicest people in their company, because if you think about it, that's the front of the company. They are the ambassador. They're the one lifting up the phone and the first voice that prospects this uh, that, that customers listen to. If you're getting them wound up, how bad must you sound? Right. So you want to think. So I need to be in a place where I'm being nice to them because it's a good idea. Don't tell them what to do because they get their backs up. Then these are nice people. You, if you were the president of a business, wouldn't you hire someone nice on the front desk? Wouldn't you hire someone nice as an executive assistant? So to get past them, if it's too difficult to say, yeah, I want to sell them something because it doesn't work, it's far better to say, it's just about the work we're doing with this person. Get a mutual contact or a, or a testimonial. And it doesn't even need to be someone you've worked with. It might be someone that you've spoke to or interfaced with in the past. But that creates some human curiosity. And that level of intrigue is the reason why the decision maker will want to hear you, um, because you're connected to that person they know. Just imagine if someone approached you that you didn't know, but knew one of your friends, you'd be willing to listen to them. At least check out what they have to say, because that's different to 99% of all, all of the approaches where it's, hey, listen to me, talk about me.
Okay, so it's a really good question, set of questions, but that's how you do it. You need to look at where there's common ground. If you really can't find it, do some research and find out something about that decision maker and ask to speak to them about that. Um, and that it wasn't necessarily for closing them on a sale, but it was closing them on helping me out. I built a course years ago called Eight Step Startup, and it was using information and knowledge from very, very impressive people. Um, so, uh, you know. Uh, best-selling authors and professors at business schools and, and business leaders and to get hold of them I would read their book or I would read their blog post or read an article they wrote or you know check out what they were into and then approach them directly about the thing they'd written about or done and so of course they're interested in responding because I'm talking about the world they're in I mean, remember I got an email back from Seth Godin 19 times best-selling author uh, and like the godfather of marketing in many ways uh, or modern marketing and said and you know and asked and I kind of I wasn't being difficult but I kind of slightly challenged him on something he wrote in a book and that was it to get a reaction and of course then he responded back because I'm talking about one of his books I was interfacing on a level he was interested in rather than hey you're amazing could I ask you to help contribute to my course so I can leverage your name to sell it please it wasn't going to work as well was it so it's a very good idea to think about where there's commonality instead and that's worked really well for me in the past. But the best way to get past a receptionist or gatekeeper is to not have the problem in the first place. So we go, yeah, well, that's obvious, but so this is how you do it. Find a way in which you can reach that person directly. If you, this goes back a bit to Brian Direct's question about framing. If you allow yourself to fall into their process, and any receptionist watching will be really annoyed by this probably. <laughs> but I'm right, by the way. If you allow yourself to fall into a process, then you have to be willing to sit in queue, okay? So the best way to circumvent this issue is to go direct. If you're at a networking event, you don't have a gatekeeper. You just go to the decision maker if they're there. If you're at a conference or trade show and they're there, just go speak to them. It's a free world, you can do that. If it's online, so send them a message directly. That's what I would do. And over the years, that's always been the approach I've taken. And so something like LinkedIn, it's very easy to find the person. Of course, some of them have an executive assistant who checks their messages, but typically that's their personal account. So when you send them a message, in the direct messages direct to them. If it's interesting enough, they're going to pick it up. And we have built businesses on the back of just doing that. Okay, that way the gatekeeper thing isn't an issue. And that way the very top person's like, this is great, good idea. Let's have the chat. And then you can work your way down from there. And of course, occasionally you get someone saying, why are you contacting the top person? That's my job to manage it. It's like, yeah, sure, no problem. But the good news is they're happy as well. Then we can take it from there. Get the blessing from the person up top first. We're going to finish in a sec. I just want to look at if there's any more questions up here. Wendy Guhilla has said, I've, I've sent a Starbucks card to gatekeepers for their work to their work email. If I'm not at a no or yes, it always works. Yeah, nothing wrong with a bit of bribery, uh, Wendy. <laughs> But listen to Richard, yes, I'm also right. If bribery works, though, then fine. Uh, otherwise, you're just giving someone a bunch of coffee and got nothing back. Ashanti Bentil, do. Uh, yes, this is excellent. I usually do research out of genuine curiosity, open the conversation with that. It tends to work. And this is one of the most important points here, Ashanti, that you've added uh, in this whole session, because that is just what you would do in the offline world. 
This is like my crusade lately. It's like, why are we being weird online in business? You need to be using cues from the offline world. If I was meeting someone in real life, I wouldn't pitch them first, would I? I'd find out about them. And that's precisely what we need to be doing here as well. There's plenty of information in 2020 online that you can find out about anyone you're trying to pitch and you simply need to leverage that instead. Hey, uh, Pip Marlowe, there's a good example, CEO at Microsoft Australia, uh, it was about five years ago. So that business unit is $2 billion turnover and she's their CEO down there and I got in touch with her because I found out on Twitter she'd done the, um, the ice bucket challenge. You know, remember that thing where you nominate people to pour ice on their head for charity. And, and so that was, for want of a better phrase, and sorry for the pun, that was the icebreaker. And of course then, rather than having this business leader like pass me down to someone else, I got her directly responding with, oh, that don't remind me, it was a freezing day, it was really tough, how can I help? There's a great in, there's a wonderful in, it's something more human instead, okay? Um, I remember I, I took a sales team once around, um, a trade show to show them in real life, just to prove you know how to do it, uh, show them in real life how to open conversations, okay? Rather than giving them theory, it's like, let's go in the field and do it. And I remember once there was a stand and they had uh, a plate of biscuits. So we, we just started banter about their biscuit cookies, if you're in America, uh, banter about their biscuits. And the point is that's the human in and that was, the, that was the fun way to start the conversation. And now they found us interesting as humans and that earned us the right to actually start a pitch. If I'd led with the pitch, it would have been like, oh, even if we're at a trade show I'm being pitched at, how do I politely exit this conversation? But this way they wanted to because I presented them emotional value in the form of humour. Okay, so it's literally the same as chatting people up, I'm certain. <clears throat> um, it's the same kind of thing. Let's finish with one more question. Uh, so Mike Keller, thank you for the question, Mike. My question, how do you convince founders that customer success should be on the roadmap from day one, not when other priorities have been addressed? Look, the thing is that everyone has their own priorities and, and typically a founder of a business on day one needs to put food to mouth. So they need to be clear on the wins. The main wins for anyone ever in buying anything, B2C or B2B, is they save money, they make money, they save time so it's more convenient, or they look good, or an extension of that. There's an ego play. So some, one of those four or a combination of them. In your case, customer success is a way of making more money because in the long run, people will want to stay with them if they're getting more success, okay? However, in the short term, at the beginning, a founder mostly will want to just try and make cash in the moment to keep their business alive. So it depends on the kind of time, where on the timeline of their business they actually are. How do I convince them? Look, it's a great idea. And in a moment of lucidity, if emotionally they want to hear it from you specifically, Mike, then they'll hear it and they'll believe it. And they're like, yeah, it's a really good point. But that's the trick. It's earning the right to get them to go, do you know what? I really agree with that. They'll only, want to, they'll only say they agree with it if they want to agree with it. They only want to agree with it if there's a good connection with you. It's not about just getting in front of people. It's about getting in front of them as someone with value. And again, it's a really good opportunity to leverage mutual contacts and talk about people and stories and things that, that other, that you've, you know, uh, things you've achieved with people uh, uh, in the past. 
just trying to get their time doesn't always work. But when you do get their time, remember, as I said earlier, that idea of the frame. If you missed it, then rewind back and or watch the replay and you can see this idea of the frame is so important. They need to want to listen. So you need to come across as the person who's got this and understands what they're talking about. And that's down to nailing the point that, look, this is something we keep getting results with, with people like this guy and with people like this company and people like this business. And giving that social proof makes a big difference, okay? We can go on all night. There's so many of these questions on it, but thank you so much, everyone who sent them in. Um, I want to say thank you, everyone watching on LinkedIn. Amazing to have you all here. Give us a thumbs up or a heart if you uh, enjoyed the show. Thank you very much for watching on Facebook. Thank you very much for watching on Lit on uh, Instagram. Thanks for watching as hashtag Team Replay on IGTV or listening on the podcast as well. Atlanta, the Eventbrite. I'm going to post it on the Facebook, uh, uh, Instagram, on LinkedIn right after this. Uh, Atlanta on the 27th of February is going to be a rocking event. It's really awesome. We've got a great charity there as well. Um, uh, and, and just a lot, of, a lot of detail on, on the link I'll put in. But if it's completely free to attend. Um, uh, in March, we have March 4th. We have the first London event completely free again to attend all of Mar. Um, so that will be on selling. If you want to attend them, great. If you can't, that one will be on Bishopsgate. Uh, if you can't attend it, uh, then you can watch for free in the Entrepreneur Business Group uh, live um, through the live stream uh, on Facebook. So you just search Entrepreneur Business Group uh, and you can see it there. So more details on it soon. Thank you so much, everyone, for watching. Uh, have an amazing week ahead. Thanks a lot to Instagram. Thanks a lot to uh, Facebook.